Welcome back to another episode of Space and 60. You have your host, me, co-host, I guess, Clint Grauman. And you've got Andrew Plipchuk today. The thruster AKA himself. Thruster, <laughs> yes. Maple syrup fueled thruster. Yep. We've uh, we've got a really cool guest on tap today with Craig Clark. Part of Space Scotland and former founder of Clyde Space. But before we get to him, there's a couple of really exciting things going on in the industry. Biggest news of the day, Andrew? SpaceX fixed their space toilet. It was a little bit leaky. I mean, that's awkward. And definitely, if our listeners recall our conversation with Dan Klopp, I mean, this this is critical stuff. Yep. That, that's when stuff gets real. Exactly. Extremely real. So congrats to SpaceX. For, for fixing the toilet. Yep. I uh, I don't think I could leave home without it. No, no. With that aside, I think it's been a, it's been a pretty good week. I mean, we've got uh, COP26 going on, but um, I'm super excited. Uh, NASA released first images off of Landsat 9. I think that's that's pretty quick for, for NASA to turn that around uh, so short after launch. But I mean, they're gorgeous. Absolutely uh, gorgeous looking images. Yeah, Landsat has been a staple of the remote sensing and space industry for what, 35 years? 35 years, years something like that, like early 70s, 40. It's got to be touching on 40 years. Yeah. Thanks. But what an incredible sensor with Landsat. Yeah. What's new on this one compared to Landsat 8? Do you, do you know? I think they made some minor technology evolution and, and maybe minor is not the right word. I mean, the technology has evolved over a couple, couple of years, but overall, I mean, relatively about the same that's that's what landsat's all about but we still spent a billion dollars of course like how many how many small sets could you build for a billion dollars lots 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 of small sets lots and lots and lots and lots of small sets but it's interesting because you know i think one of the the things that nasa did say you know as they're doing their awards for like small sat constellations they made reference to you know how Landsat is this continuous legacy mission and it supports and complements, you know, the likes of Planet and their CubeSats. So it's it's great to see the industry evolve and and recognize that each one of these systems plays its part in the overall chain and evolution of of providing Earth observation data. Yeah, and you know though. You know, they've been toying with the idea of a Landsat, let's call it a Landsat continuity mission that would be small sats or a constellation instead of a billion dollar school bus in space, basically. That bus on Landsat is massive, right? And if you were to think about what you could do with a constellation, there are some trades for sure. But if you think about our, our next guest coming on the show, Craig Clark, and his business, Clyde Space, and how they've built small sets for years. What could someone like Craig have done with a billion dollars? Like a Indeed. lot. A Indeed. Lot. But, you know, I think Landsat is, it's a national treasure. It's, a, it's something that the entire world 
has used to build a foundation around their remote sensing business, whether or not they own their own satellites or not. I'm really pumped to see that come on board. A lot of the the capabilities that Landsat 9 has are, are staples for many businesses, many algorithms, many workflows all around the world. Agreed. And so why don't we get... Let's get Craig on the line. Craig, it's great to have you and great to see you again. Yeah, great. Really, thank you for inviting me on to the, the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. You're welcome. And we also have uh, Andrew Polipchuk, the ever-present Canadian. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll just go with Canadian today. The ever-present okay. Canadian. Today, we're missing Chad. It's too bad Chad wasn't here. He was really wanting to meet you, Craig. But you and I go back a little ways. We met a couple of years ago on the beach in Melbourne, I think it was, for breakfast. But it's great to see you again. Yeah, yeah, it's great to, to see you. Yeah, I do miss, you know, a bit of nice nice weather. It's winter. It's coming on winter here in Scotland, and it's starting to get a bit grim. So I noticed that the flights to the US have opened up recently. So maybe I'll need to try and figure out a way to go over. I was going to say, I jumped to the conclusion it was Melbourne, Australia. I didn't think it would be Florida. Yeah, yeah. Craig and I met here in Florida. We were both looking at a project that was going on and, and got together to, to talk over in Melbourne. And we both have sand, sea, and you know, nice breezy sea air. Only yours is a little colder in Scotland than we have here on the coast of Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I, see, I, I was surprised to hear like years ago that the World Surfing Championships are held in Scotland quite often because we get great waves. But it's definitely a different temperature, that's for sure. So do you do you surf? No, no, I mean, I, was, <laughs> I don't surf. I mean, we've got, we've got amazing beaches, it's crystal clear water, great waves, but the temperature is not quite what you would expect for doing that kind of activity. Yeah, I've not, I've not pictured the Hawaiian landscape in Scotland. <laughs> One time yeah. I was uh, I was out in uh, Kodiak in Alaska. I went out to watch a launch and we're driving up through the winding road on Kodiak Island. And the guy that's driving pulls over and parks and says, hey, look down there on the beach. And I leaned over and, and had a look out of his pickup. And there was a guy in a total wetsuit surfing on a black sand beach in Kodiak, Alaska, because they just had awesome waves. It was cold. Like it, it definitely wasn't the type of weather you want to be surfing in, but the waves looked great. Not that I can surf. Yeah, I think that's a, it sounds a bit like Scotland. So yeah, you know, having you here on the show, I we didn't mean to inundate you with questions about surfing um, by any means, but we, we'd love <laughs> to hear what's of a surf. <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to hear what's going on in in your world now, Craig. I'm known as I, I started Clay Space. I'm the founder of Clay Space, and I, I've obviously ran that for many years, and I've been with. I think 17 years or so I was with the business. So I've now left Clay Space and I'm still involved in the space sector though. And I'm currently the chair of Space Scotland, which is like a trade organization in Scotland. It's like a voluntary group of people that are involved in the space sector. So it's companies, academia, the government are involved as well. So we all come together like once a quarter for a meeting. And we do a lot of things in the background as well to help promote the space sector in Scotland. So I've only just started doing that. So that's since the 1st of August. So actually been making a few changes already. So it actually never used to be called Space Scotland. It was, it was a smaller group before. It's growing and growing. I mean, the, the space sector in Scotland is growing really rapidly. It used to be called the Scottish Space Leadership Council, which is 
strangely, the name that I suggested years ago for this group, which I hated. I don't know why I do these things, but because uh, I hate acronyms. Acronyms are the worst. If you're going to name a business, don't use an acronym. I just think it's the worst way to name a business. But anyway, so change it to Space Scotland and we're doing lots of great things within that organisation. Again, all voluntary people. So we're looking at sustainability in the space sector, looking at how, you know, if you're a space company, whether it be launch or satellites or, or using data, how do you ensure that you're transitioning to like a net zero position, making sure you're not damaging the environment, looking at orbital debris, and even things like we had a discussion the other day about when a satellite burns up an atmosphere, does that damage the atmosphere due to the different, what constitutes the satellites, the different type of elements? So things, there's a lot of research into that and we're kind of keen to be involved in, in that kind of thing. But also looking at diversity in the space sector, skills, entrepreneurship, things like that. So there's a lot happening and I'm quite enjoying it. So I'm still involved for sure, but just not in the same way as before. Well, there's a lot happening in Scot- Scotland these days in the space industry. It wasn't too long ago that it was a, a really small part of the industry, but today, everywhere you turn, you see you see Space Scotland. You're going to be in trouble when it becomes an agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, the, the nice thing about Scotland is that we're mostly SMEs. You know, there are some larger companies, but they're... It's a small part of those businesses. So we do have Lockheed Martin, for example, involved in Scotland, but it's a small part. So they very much behave like an SME in the way that they they talk and contribute. So because we're mostly SMEs, okay, agile, we're very market-led. So it's all about new space. It's all about small satellites, whether it be production, the use of small satellites, the data, or the launch. So we're, we're going to start launching small satellites from Scotland pretty soon. That'll be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So they're looking at the north of Scotland for, well, there's going to be, I've heard there's multiple launch sites in Shetland, which is an island at, like north of Scotland. And there's Sutherland, which is like the, the mainland of Scotland, which is in the north. So Orbex have got a, a rocket production plant up in the north of Scotland and they'll be launching from there. And then there's another launch site in Benbecula, which is on the west, the Western Isles. So there's, there's a lot of activity in we expect that the first launches are going to be in 2023. So it's going to be exciting. I think that, you know, if you look at the projections for small satellites in the future, there's certainly thousands of satellites that will need launched. And I think there should be good use of, of those launch sites as we progress with the capability here. And just in Scotland's known for its tourism. You know, there's lots of, it's, it's a very pretty country. Imagine taking a drive up through the mountains of Scotland and catching a lunch up there while you're there, you know, that's kind of cool. So it's certainly going to be interesting over the next few years. Well, I think it would be very appropriate for a Scottish rocket to launch the first Scotch into space for for aging. Yeah, I think somebody already done that. And they put some Scotch <laughs> on there. In on the space station. Space station. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of yeah. that. But, you know, I'm sure there's room for more. We could have some more more scotch up there. If not, just buy some scotch where you're here to watch a lunch and drink it. You could do that. 100%. You've come from starting Clyde Space 17 years ago, you said, to effectively being the leader of the, the new space movement in, in Scotland. I mean, I actually, I never realized that it was 17 years ago that you, you started Clyde. Yeah, I was going to say, is that, does that qualify as new space at that point? Well, I mean, I think new space goes back before Clyde Space. So 
I mean, I worked at Surrey Satellite Technology after I left university. So that was 1994 that I started working there. I know that I don't look that old, but yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really interesting. I worked there for 11 years, I met some great people, and I worked on some amazing, amazing projects. I learned a lot about small satellites because that they were leading in that area at the time. You know, and, and you were just involved. It was a small business when I started, about 20 people, and you were just thrown into the deep end and you just had to kind of, you know, you're surrounded by all these clever, kind of highly capable, highly motivated people, and you just had to keep up. So it was just like, what a great place to to learn your, your trade, really. So after working there for, like, say, 10 years, I thought, well, I'll tell you the, the full story is, so my wife was, well, my wife is also Scottish, so she came down with me when we moved down, and she was pregnant with her second child with a one-and-a-half-year-old and we wanted to move to Scotland to bring up our family. And I looked at Scotland, I thought, well, what can I do? You know, I've been building small satellites for the last 10 years and there's no space sector in Scotland at all. So I looked at maybe working in a university because there was a lot of activity in, uni- in the universities in Scotland for space, but no, no companies. And I, you know, maybe thought I could do that, but really it wasn't for me. And at the end of the day, my wife and I decided that we use the money from selling our house to start a space company in Glasgow. And that's where Clay Space came from. So it sounds a bit crazy, but that's what we did. You know, we did kind of very naively walked into starting a business with no experience of running a business at all, as most people do when they start a company um, for the first time. So we did that. And, you know, I already had a good understanding of small satellites, obviously. And I knew there was a small satellite market that was growing. I thought I could supply subsystems into that, power systems and things like that, because I could see that there was a need. But immediately after starting the business, so like literally a couple of weeks into starting the business, um, I discovered CubeSats. And it was at the IEC in Japan, in Fukuoka, in 2005. The first conference I went to is Clay Space. And this lady, I can't even remember her name, which is so annoying, but she says, have you heard of CubeSats? And I'm like, no, I've never heard. This could be interesting for you. You should, you should have a chat with Andrew Kalman at Pumpkin because I think that you should have a look and maybe consider doing that with, with Clay Space, which I had to look at. And I thought, this is really interesting. You've got this form factor of a satellite that's fixed in dimension, which means that you can have standardised products. And I'd already known about this plug-and-play kind of US Air Force Research Labs thing that was happening that loads of money had went into and it was like, it was almost, I always thought that was like a bit like trying to push water uphill because you're trying to force a set, an industry to adopt a set of standards for standardization and they were reluctant to do it. And the best way to have that type of thing work is to make it worth people's while. And I think that CubeSats done that. So CubeSats were like, you know, there's a sector, there's a huge opportunity here for standardization of satellite dimensions for the launch interfaces and it's affordable and I mean if you're an engineer and somebody says to you I need you to fit a system into this box you know that's a great problem to have and I think engineers don't like generally they don't like here's a blank sheet of paper go and design a satellite because it, it looks like anything there's too many variables so take away a, a, the kind of fundamental variables and see what innovation can you do in that box? And it's, I found that quite quite challenging. And I thought it was really interesting from an engineering perspective. And I thought there was just a huge business opportunity as well with it. So we started developing 
the power system, the batteries and solar panels for for the CubeSats back in, you know, I got a grant for that in early 2006. So we were definitely one of the first companies in the world to truly discover CubeSats. But I think, I mean, I guess like the long story short and an answer to the, it wasn't really new space at the time. I think a lot of the things that happened in, I'd say the mid to late 2000s, or noughties, I think you call them, were kind of developing the market. The market didn't exist for CubeSats and really small satellites were not really that kind of popular at the time. But companies like Clydespace and a few others were evangelizing about CubeSats all over the world at different conferences. Even the, the small satellite conference, I, I remember going to that, um, I've been going to that for years, and it was interesting to see there was hardly any papers in CubeSats, and then there was more and more and more until almost every single paper at the small set was about CubeSat. As the years went on, and a lot of those, those early papers were due to companies like Clydespace that were really pushing the idea. And I wonder... I do wonder if we would be where we are today in terms of CubeSats if it wasn't for the kind of really kind of pioneering companies that were back really trying to develop and forge this market back then, trying to make components available for universities and then ultimately for commercial companies. I mean, I, I think I'm not sure it would be the same, you know, and it's interesting to think of, you know, when you look at markets, how do they develop, you know, the way that they have? And I think there needs to be these early companies that really think that's a great idea, let's do that. And you're not thinking about financial returns. But at that point, you're just thinking, this is an opportunity to really do something different. Let's see where it goes. There's high risk, but you know the chance of kind of making a, a dent in the world is, is there. So I think we, we went after that. What do you think is your, your dent in the world? Well, I think, to be honest, you know, Starting a company and growing it, especially in a market that doesn't exist and you're trying to create it. And the amount of R&D we done for the amount of money we had, because we didn't raise a lot of money. It was less than a million dollars we raised over 15 years. It was tough. And we had moments that we thought that was it. We thought we'd gone under because we just were running out of money. So it was really difficult. You know, I remember having half the company working on our first satellite and R&D, we had no money for it. And cash was like tight every month. It was such a difficult time. And I remember thinking, look, if I can do this long enough, they give the sector enough momentum in Scotland that, you know, we have a space sector in Scotland because it really was just clay space for a long time. And I thought, you know, if we can encourage, if we can get enough people involved and enough companies started and get clay space big enough, then, you know, we'll, we'll stay. We'll be able to have a space sector in Scotland. I did think that, I don't know what, what year it was, but it's probably during one of my moments of thinking, oh my God, why am I doing this? This is too difficult. <laughs> and it did happen. I think that some of the kind of really key moments for, for me was when you know, I met Peter Platzer at the CubeSat workshop in San Luis Obispo. And, you know, I mean, Peter and I got on really well and he was like struggling to kind of fit everything he wanted to do into his tiny San Francisco office. And it's really expensive out there, not just the office space, but the people. And I was like, come and build your satellites in Glasgow. You've got a clean room. We're just moving into a new space and we can help you. And he did, you know, and they now have their own facility, of course, like they had for a few years. And they employ a lot of people and they've got, they're making loads of satellites and doing great things. 
And, you know, that happened just from that, that simple conversation that I had with them. And I think, you know, there's more and more companies like that have come to, to Scotland that just make it the vibrant sector it is today. To me, that qualifies more than a little dent. That's that's definitely a gravity well. I think that's that's phenomenal. That's super cool that that you've been able to inspire and and bring this all together into Scotland. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm not saying all these things because you know I'm not looking for the, to be credited with it all. But I mean, it is it is true what happened, and I'm saying it because I was an engineer at Surrey. I wasn't like a senior manager. I wasn't like close to being the managing director at all. I mean, I was like, there's multiple layers between me and the top guy. <laughs> so I was just an ordinary guy who just like, I'm a very determined person and I was super determined to make it work. Um, but when I started Clay Space, I thought, I just need to make this work. Whatever it takes, I'll just do it. And watch all the hours and all that kind of stuff. And it shows you, if you set your mind to something and you're creative enough, I think creativity is very important. You can't just go out and say, I'm going to do the same thing as these other guys over here. You know, to make a difference, it needs to be, I'm thinking different. I'm going to just try something new and I'm going to believe in myself and go out and do it. And you can make a big difference if you do that. I think it was the right age as well. I mean, I was 30, 31 when I started Clay Space and, you know, I had loads of energy and it was the right time. I think that there is like different ages to start a business. Obviously, some businesses may be easier than others, but I think if I'd done it now, I don't know. I, I couldn't say hand in heart that I would have the, the energy to work through the night doing proposals and all sorts of stuff that I had to do and travel and all that stuff. You know, it's a totally different world that you would start a business in these days as well. I mean, the the path that you're describing, basically bootstrapping like a classic entrepreneurial situation, it's really not known that well in today's new space industry. The The model isn't go sell your house start a business, sleep on the lab floor. It's come up with an idea, go talk to a venture capital fund, have them throw money your way, and then you try to grow it from there. It's not even close to the same thing that you went through to build your business. Yeah, I look at a lot of the businesses that I've seen raise millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, and I see how much money they spend on things I would never have spent money on because that was the salaries for next month, like economy flights, not first class flights, the secondhand furniture, all this, you know, anything I could save money on, we would do. Then I see like other companies that have raised money, you know, their first class flights and, you know, just the most expensive furniture and everything needs to look so cool. I kind of think we spent the money that we made. We made money from making things and selling them. And a lot of these companies spend the money, just they spend other people's money. I mean, I've got used to the concept of it now, but at the time when I seen when I seen companies starting to get all this money, I was like, that's just so weird. You know, <laughs> they're just spending all this <laughs> money to with theirs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's worked for them. I mean, all these companies have been successful, they've done SPACs and you know, raised even more money. But back when I, you know, I was struggling with monthly salaries, it just seems a bit mad. Well, at the end of the day, they all have to earn a profit at some point and and produce products and deliver a service that's valuable to people. So I think you've done you've done well. You've done more than well. It's just awesome. So I do have to ask, in your time at SSTL, Clint and I are both RapidEye alumni. Did you work on the RapidEye satellites? Were they even on the drawing board back then? 
It was actually one of the last missions I worked on. So I was head of power systems. So the lithium ion batteries that were put on there, I was involved in to make sure they were on it. Uh, it was one of the first missions that we put lithium ion on. The, the, the power system I designed, I think it was maybe tweaked a bit. So I designed it over the years. It's interesting because I was talking to Chris, one of the founders of Planet Labs, a few years ago when they bought, was it Black? Blackbridge, yeah. Blackbridge, yeah. They bought them and they owned Rapidine. And I said, you finally got one of my power systems on your satellites. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying oh. to sell power systems for ages. Oh, that's dubs. funny. Yeah. <laughs> New space has, has definitely changed with the way that investors have come into the market and changed the approach to the market and the speed you can get to market. But I remember the days right about the time when when Andrew joined us, we were still having to share hotel rooms and had 30 euro a night hotel rooms in places like Paris, which doesn't go a long way in Paris. And so we've, although we weren't the entrepreneurs like you are, that we're not only flying economy, but footing the bill for everyone else on your team, flying economy. You know, it's a it's a challenge and the industry has definitely changed. And so although you've you've approached it modestly and taking credit for how the industry has moved in a new direction, I can definitely say that it is people like you that gave a lot of the new space companies today a path to fly in. Yeah. I mean, it's great to see the sector, you know, doing so well. And it's interesting. I had a few people leave Clay Space and start their own companies. And it used to, I, was, I remember when it happened the first couple of times I was I was raging, you know, doing leaving and starting companies. And then it took me a wee while to realize actually that's a good thing. I've done this thing recently for um, Scottish Enterprise, who are like a, the regional development agency in Scotland, where we were supporting pitches for young companies that are looking to kind of go out and like you're either raise money or something in the, the Dubai Expo. And most of the companies that were, I was looking at pitches. I used to were guys that used to work for me, so <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. But you know, I used to also get there were only a few things that bothered me. It bothered me if a customer was unhappy. Really, a lot. It was the worst thing because there's so much going on in the business. You know, there's different technical problems and all sorts of stuff. You need to always fix and HR problems. And but the worst thing would the worst things that would bother me would be if a customer was unhappy about something that would really rail me and I think that kind of hopefully transferred into our, our customer service being pretty good which is not common by the way in, in any sector but you know I hope that you know, we've done a good job with that when I was there and the other thing I used to kind of get anxiety about what other companies were doing so when I'd look about and I'd see like Tyvac or Blue Canyon or Nano Avionics and I could see them doing their different things after you know like we were we were trying to like kind of maintain our market share and you know, there was a few things that would kind of frustrate me, like the race to the bottom and pricing, trying to grab market share. And this is like, I think this is as a result of companies that would get a lot of investment. They would just say, look, we're just going to go after market share, cut all our prices in half. And, you know, I always think that was kind of stupid because, you know, it just devalues what it is you did. You know, what we do is not worth that much. It's only worth this much. And it was bad for the sector. But anyway, I would, I would get anxiety about stuff like that. I mean, but now I look at it as a, you know, there's a really fast growing market there for CubeSats and small satellites and everyone's just trying to get a piece of it and to grow with it. And I've seen some companies out there do great things that, you know, I, I was just kind of, I think there's different ways of approaching it. And get, going back to the price thing, I realised 
quite late on that, you know, it's actually not about price, really. I mean, I mean, I knew this anyway, but it's not about price, it's about value. And there are, there's always customers out there that are willing to pay the appropriate amount for a valuable product, you know, and that value could come in the way that the performance or the quality or, or the customer service, things like that. So if you're selling something cheap, it's likely to not be that good. There'll be some sort of shortcut that's been done on the on the process of that product and that's not what I wanted to be I wanted to be the not a super expensive because that's what new space is about avoiding but I wanted it to be fair I wanted customers to pay a fair price for what they were getting so and, and we and also I thought that you know the company had to make sure they were looking at ways of making it more affordable but not sacrificing on any of those core core sort of quality and performance aspects and there are, there are definitely ways to do that, and that takes investment. But just like trying to grab market share by doing everything at a loss is something that frustrated me over the past, I say, five to seven years, because it's happened quite a lot in, in the sector. I don't know why I started talking about that, but there you go. It's probably still happening. Well, I'm sure it is. But I, I think to your point, coming to terms with that and understanding what are those trade-offs, I almost wonder at the end of the day, Although it comes across as unfair, I think at the end of the day, it does help grow the entire pie. So although they might grab more market share, I think the pie just got a whole lot bigger because more people got access. Yeah, that's what I'd always say to like other competitors. Is like, There's plenty of work and I'm sure we'll all do okay. You do get anxious about it as somebody running a business and thinking, well, we need even more work, you know, obviously, because that's how you grow and survive. So just, I'm just going to open the window here because although it's Scotland, this house is boiling. <laughs> I think somebody's going to keep it going. <laughs> Clint, you can relate? I can relate. So you know, we've talked about a lot of the, the work that you've done, but for the viewers at home, or I guess the listeners at home, Andrew and I, are we've, we've had our eye on this drum set behind you. And a while back, we had a, a guest, Steve Lee, also a fellow Scotsman of yours that runs a space company there. And he was a, a musician as well. And like, do you play semi-pro? Do you play dive pubs? What's what's your story in that? Yeah, well, I think Steve is a more accomplished musician than I am. He's uh, He sings and plays guitar. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he's a lot better than me when it comes to that. But I used to, I played the drums for a long time. So I was in bands when I was at school and university. And then when I was working at Surrey, I was in a band as well. Mostly kind of original, kind of indie rock type stuff. I also played in orchestras and wind bands and concert bands and stuff, which is good fun. But I'm not in any bands just now. That phase of my life is gone, but I still like to play. And my son is 16 and he's doing his grades for drums. So I kind of, what I do is uh, just play. I just do whatever grading he's doing <laughs> myself, you know, just to keep my hand in. But you know, regardless of skill level, the drums are a great stress reliever. Yeah, it's good fun, yeah. For sure. And it's quite, it's quite good that, I mean, with the door shut, nobody can hear me playing, really, outside the house. Inside the house is a different thing. So there's a time limit to how much time you can play. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. You know, we've watched Scotland, as I mentioned earlier, really rise up in prominence in the space sector. And now you've come through quite the journey of starting Clyde Space. And today your role is really kind of in a leadership position for the new space industry 
in Scotland. And you mentioned some of the really cool things that are happening there, but what do you think is the most exciting thing happening in new space in Scotland today? Oh, that's a good question. I think well, the most exciting thing for me at the moment is the fact, like, I mean, I sort of alluded to this earlier and the fact that the companies that we have that are starting or we're moving to Scotland or in Scotland, they're growing. They're all quite, they're small to medium-sized enterprises. They're hungry for growth. They're very much market-led. So they're not, one of the things I hate, like kind of the large companies saying, well, government, you need to give us money or we will cut a thousand jobs. You know, we need to maintain capability. I hate that phrase because there must be a reason why you're, what you're doing isn't creating enough sales is it because the markets are moving on and you've not moved on enough with it? Maintaining capability, I've never thought it was a good argument to get investment from government. A growing sector where there's innovation and product development and R&D and potential for like maybe 50 to 100% growth per year for these companies, that's exciting. And that's the types of companies that we have in Scotland. Lots of fresh ideas doing different things looking at where the opportunities are, chasing after them. And that's exciting for me. So I think a lot of these companies, they just need they need a bit of support. And I'm hoping that this is maybe what I can do for them because I've been through that journey. I understand how difficult it can be and I understand you know, what support I would have loved to have had. And I'm not saying that, I definitely would have loved more support. I would have loved the UK Space Agency at the time to have said, you know what, CubeSat's a great idea, Craig. We're going to support you with that. But instead, because UK Space Agency and ESA are kind of close in their way of thinking, it was like, oh, CubeSats are nonsense. We, we're not wanting to do CubeSats. One of the things that I, I said quite recently to, I say all the time actually now to people that work at, there's the, the new CEO of the UK Space Agency, for example, is that I remember, if I go back like two or three years, one of our main competitors is Blue Canyon Technologies who do like, they do great work out in Colorado. They had, I think, I read somewhere they had 90 satellites on order from the US government. By comparison, like our, so our main competitor, we had zero contracts for satellites from the UK government because they didn't see CubeSats as being something they would use. So that's it's a mindset thing. So I, I'm in there trying to change the mindsets of the people that within government who will use space as like an asset. And I think because they're starting to, so MOD, in the UK wants to start doing more with space. We have a UK space agency with more money. ESA's finally starting to think, well, actually, you know, maybe it doesn't need to be a thousand kilogram satellite after all, you know, that costs billions of euros. So I'm hoping that I can help that conversation along because it's proven, you know, small satellites do a fantastic job for like, whether it be climate change or communications or other things. I argue with people all the time about space debris the smaller the satellite, the less chance it's going to collide, the less debris or particles it'll put into the atmosphere, the more easy it is to burn up, the less time it will take to deorbit. There's lots of good reasons. The smaller we can make things, you know, the less fuel we'll need in the launch vehicle. There's a million good reasons for, for making satellites as small as possible. But still, there's lots of people in the space industry that think satellites must be big and expensive. I think that needs to change. We're not that sector anymore. I think one of the reasons it doesn't change is because big companies still need those big checks from government to do the big missions. But that's me and my slightly cynical view of, of the world. 
So what do you think is it's still on the horizon for Scottish space and, and your journey in this industry? What's the, if you could make one thing happen between now and when you finish your tenure in this leadership position, what do you want to bring to Scottish space? I'm very much, uh, well, marketing is quite a, a thing in my head for any organization, how you communicate, how it looks to the outside. And I think that I want to make Scotland a, a very attractive place to come and do business from for space, to promote it better. So like to have more inward investment coming into Scotland, more companies wanting to come in and, and work here. I think it's a great environment, great universities. There's good, great people to come and work in different organisations. And I think, I think that's one of the things that Spire would say when they set up in Scotland is, you know, the, is the, the people they found is one of the best aspects of coming here. So I would love to have, you know, made a step change in the number of companies that they have by the end of my role as chair. And I hopefully will, I think one of the things that's really important, the Space Cost Scotland doesn't work if all the organisations don't feel part of it. It's very much a collective and we all work together. There's nobody pays to be as part of the organisation. It's just a kind of free forum for people to come together and say, look, here's the problems. What can we do? How can we get better? And how can we promote our sector better? So we're all working together. And I love that enthusiasm and the time that people give. I'm just basically really enjoying that. If I can, if I can make, if I can encourage that to be more, because all organisations have problems and I've had people say there's not enough communication and we're not spending enough time doing this or that and diversity and things. So I'm listening to, to everyone and making changes and hopefully making it a better organisation to grow with the future. Because, I mean, as we said earlier, you know, the, the space sector in Scotland is growing really fast. There's huge opportunities, but working together, we can, we can make them even better. That's probably not a good answer. but It's a great answer. Clint's sending me a message saying, hey, you're up, Andrew. I don't even know how to top that. <laughs> I think that's that's the high note. Craig, no, it's, it's exciting to see new space across the world and the private space sector take off. You know, we've got, at least in, in Clint's part of the world, space tourism. And I think Scotland is is leading the charge on, on some of this as well. It's great to, to watch and follow and be a part of. Thanks. I think it does help it, the fact that it is Scotland. Scotland's like a, a friendly country, you know, and it's, it's seen, I think if people know Scotland, there's not many people who don't like Scotland, so it does help. And also I think that the engineering heritage of Scotland as well makes a massive difference. All the different things that were invented here, the fact that 30% of the world's ships used to be built in the Clyde in Glasgow. So there's so much history within engineering and it's, it's only right that, that Scotland has a prominent role within space because it is the new shipbuilding, I think, the future shipbuilding. Yeah, I used to have this strap line that I used for Clyde Space was, you know, Glasgow used to be known for building 30% of, of the world's ships. Now we're going to build 30% of the world's spaceships, you know, kind of a bit corny, but that was like kind of the aspiration. You know, you never know when they get yeah, there. Definitely. I think we should talk about the one thing that you would like to to leave the listeners with this week. If what have we not covered? What have we, you know, what is it that we still don't know about Craig Clark, entrepreneur leading the new space charge 17 years ago, which that's at the very beginning of when new space started. What do we still not know about Craig Clark? 
That's a rubbish question. <laughs> <laughs> you can't come on my show and insult me. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I think I think what I kind of would kind of finally like to say that you know I don't think it's about one person. Obviously, you hear this a lot. You know, you like people get an award and go, "Well, it's not just me." There's all these other people. But, I mean, truly, there's so many people that are being involved in in helping to create the small set sector. It's the, okay, there's a there's a few kind of figureheads that have like been the voice and like me being one of them probably. But just I've met so many great people along the way, whether they were people that worked with Make Clive Space to come on board and really walk through walls to make get projects out the door and without all of those great, hardworking, very clever people working with me would never have ever worked at all. There's people throughout the sector, whether they be like within regional development agencies or government or guys, just people that I've met at maybe the small satellite conference or just mentors from different walks of life. They just give you a little G up when you need it, you know, you know, give you a little pep talk, a pat on the back. You're doing all right, son, kind of thing. Keep going. There's all these people throughout that I've met, especially the small sat conference. I think small sat conference, there's so many good people. The organizers are so nice and just, genuinely nice people that just want to see you do well and that they've made a massive difference to me and I'm sure to most of the other people that have been kind of trying to pioneer this sector to where it is today. I think don't think you can underestimate the power of just the support you get you know, and I really truly mean that without mentioning any names in particular. <laughs> yeah, but that, that'll be a long them. list, right? What, <laughs> no, what a rubbish answer. What a rubbish <laughs> answer. <laughs> All kidding aside, it's great. And I we totally agree with you that one of the things that we see in the new space industry is that everyone's pulling for one another. You rarely see the kind of it's all about me mentality that you see with some of the really large organizations that stand or fall on their own. You see lots of people collaborating and working together on projects and and pulling one another up. And that's something we really enjoy about this business. And Andrew and I have traveled the world together at conferences everywhere. And you see the same people, you catch up with old friends and it's and it's just a really great environment. And so we we wholeheartedly agree with you. And it's been great having you on the show. And I guess that would be a good lead in. We're at the end of our our time here and you've been so gracious to give us this much time in the evening in your local time zone, but we're thankful to have you. It's been great. Yeah, thanks very much, Shirley. It's been really great to talk to you. We would like to say you're welcome back on the show anytime. If you hear we're having a guest that you'd like to jump in and contribute and crash the party, we'd love to have you. Give us a call. Stop in anytime. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hopefully everyone can understand my accent okay. I've tried hard to speak slowly. Put some subtitles. Yeah, and the <laughs> subtitles in a scotch, and, and they'll be good to go. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks, Craig. Okay, thank you. Wow. Andrew, what did you think about that with Craig? That's great. Crazy, 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 crazy. I mean, Craig's been around for, for a while. Early days of New Space. Love it. Yeah, I just... It reminds me of getting started straight out of university. And, you know, as we talked about it at the beginning of the show, Landsat... When I started, Landsat was just going digital. We were still looking up images for clouds on microfiche before providing it to customers. That's so incredible. It's unreal. It's awesome to be here in, in the today and the now. 
Yeah. You know, Craig has done a lot of things in the new space industry. And who would have thought in 1994 that you could go start a business in the space industry on your own without some big government contract or in today's world, some chunk of venture capital funding? He sold his house, started a business, and bootstrapped his way at 31 years old to building a space business, you know, building satellites components, all of those things for the industry that has really grown up around them today. And we, you know, one of the most, I guess, the things that really struck me about what he, about his story, maybe it didn't catch everyone's attention, but his attention to how the customer felt about the product that was created, the customer service, and the quality of what he delivered to them. That's something that it's really tough to encompass if you're if you're not an entrepreneur sleeping on the lab floor, putting everything you have in, into building something like that. I think it just it goes to show if you think about any product that you use and love, it's that attention to customer service, detail and, and quality that that always comes out at the end of the day. You know, that's something, Andrew, that that I'm seeing in the the new space industry today that I love every almost everything about the new space industry. But one of the things I'm seeing, maybe it's showing my age, that I don't like is this trend away from the personal interaction on customer service to a self-service format with basically do everything yourself online, fix your own problems, you know, read the database, see what questions have been asked and try to figure this out on your own. I really miss that about the industry in the time when when you and I first started in it, where you picked up the phone and on the other end was Perky Andrew Polipchuk, ready to answer your question. <laughs> Jamin Doherty, Jamin Doherty. Give, let's give Jamin a plug. Jamin. No, I, I agree, Clint. You know, I, and it's oh, it's one of those things like I'm, I'm going to agree and disagree because if I think about like somebody's favorite activity, banking, <laughs> to get me to go see a bank teller, no way. I'd rather pay taxes or go get another flu shot or something. Self-service, online banking, all the way, 110%. But I think definitely as industries are finding their footing and they're still breaking new ground, it is that customer service and and interaction and learning what's working, what's not working, and how do we fix it together that's going to make or break companies and entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, we we think about our industry, the breakneck pace at which it's growing, but it's still a small industry. You know, everyone kind of knows each other. Yeah, it's still new. And when you have mission critical requirements of something that has to get done, let's say you have a partner or a customer in Japan and they need help with something. And then you're on the other side of the world, let's call it San Francisco or Florida or Calgary for that matter. (laughs) And that customer has a problem. You know, it's not like we're ordering a user's manual or ordering takeout. This is mission critical stuff. And the ability to get on the phone and reach someone is just, it's still highly important in this industry. Absolutely it is. But, you know, Craig's working on some incredible things. I loved hearing his story about how much of himself he put into the business long before venture capital entered our industry. And, you know, it's people like Craig that built the foundation that the rest of us are are standing on to build our own businesses. So agreed. Craig. Thanks, Craig. Yep. Thanks, Craig. It was it was great having <laughs> you. Great having Craig on the show. But 
What a great show. What a great entrepreneur and uh, wish him the best of luck in everything that he does. Agreed. I hope everybody enjoyed listening today and we look forward to bringing you another guest two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. See you then. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Space.